Thank you, Lord, that uh, you sent Jesus. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is here and you said you'd always say yes when we ask for him to be in the midst and to speak to our hearts. So please just take over in this time this morning and I thank you. Be with our people in Ukraine, Lord. Please bring peace, save somehow the situation there. You, you turn the bad, evil, Satan means for good and we, we claim that, Genesis 50. So thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach asked me, whoops, a little too loud there, I think. Zach asked me to share a brief testimony at the beginning today about how I came to understand something about my Christian life after I was converted uh, before I get into the other message. So anyway, I'm going to do that. My, I had wonderful parents. I had a mom and dad that loved me so much. I came along when they were 40, and my mother thought about suicide. But she found out she was pregnant, so I was one of those little surprises. But anyway... Uh, They've always prayed for me, and, and you've heard my story. I became a rebellious preacher's kid for some reason and was proud of being one of the worst guys around. Got into drugs and the whole thing. But my parents prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for me and when they saw I was gone, and I thank God for that. And I, I've run across, uh, my dad was a publishing leader selling, you know, helping people sell these Bible story books and all. And uh, we've heard people in our travels around that, one of, we're students at the time, and we're in my dad's car, and uh, dad would pull over to the side of the road, dirt road, with this group of students, and he'd say, I don't know what Jerry's doing, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like we need to pray for him. They'd pray for me. So I thank God for parents like that. And, you know, they were different in personality. My mother was very serious and cleric and uh, somewhat legalistic. My dad was very smiley and warmed people's confidence in a hurry and, and uh, more grace-oriented. But uh, as time went along... Um, I just, just really, the Lord brought me to a point of misery where I came back and to the church, and they were so happy. I can remember my dad's tears running down his face when four of us were rebaptized after six months of studying, coming out of drugs and all of that. So I just, I really love my dad. He was always cheerful and positive. I don't remember him getting upset at me very often, but uh, he just was that kind of a person. So uh, when, when my dad, 20 years later, I heard he'd had a massive heart attack, I um, wanted to get back in a hurry. I was a conference president by then, and uh, they'd come around, followed me around, watched me preach, and also proud of me and all this stuff. But now Dad, they said, might not make it through the night. He had a major damage on his heart. And so I got on a plane in Philadelphia to go to Pittsburgh and on to Denver, and I was praying I'd be able to see my dad again. I just wanted to be by his side. I was his preacher boy, and I wanted to make sure he was at peace. <laughs> so it was great. I got on the plane, and God is so wonderful. I got on the plane, and I was crying somewhat in my, my tears, and I just wanted to get there to see him. I was asking Dad to please help me to get there in time. And I did one of those Bible-flopping things, you know what I mean? You just open the Bible. I know Smuts Van Royen, you may have heard him speak. He said he, he got into Bible-flopping. He just flopped the Bible, put his finger on a text, and he said one day he was thinking whether to come from South Africa to America, so he did that. And he did like this, put it up there, put his finger on a text, didn't know what it was. And he was asking God to show him what to do. He brought it down and it said, An evil and a perverse generation seeketh a sign, and no sign will be given unto it. <laughs> so did he get a sign or didn't he? You know, God is so funny at times. He's got a great sense of humor. But anyway, uh, I did that. I just opened my Bible. And if you have yours, maybe the pew Bible in front of you or your own Bible, turn with me. I, I opened to Romans, and it wrote, just opened to Romans 8. And uh, I've come to love this chapter. I end up in prison someday, please sneak me this chapter. It's got so much great in it from the Lord and his word. 
but as I opened the Bible, my eyes fell on Romans 8.28. You know that one? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, I wouldn't share that with an Ukrainian right now because they may have trouble believing it, but I believe God will work things together in Ukraine and Russia and he'll find good out of it somehow. But that was always my dad's favorite text. He quoted this over and over. When we'd wreck the car or do something stupid, don't worry, we'll never know it a thousand years from now. And he would quote this text. So what did I know at that moment? <laughs> I knew that Jesus was comforting me, right? I know your dad. I know his favorite text. And I'm gonna, it's going to be all right. So then I went to Pittsburgh. Got on, uh, I called the pastor from Philadelphia that I had to cancel an appointment for that Sabbath. And he was very gracious. He said, oh, Jerry, let me pray for you. Sorry about your dad. And what text do you think he claimed in that prayer? Isn't God good? He has a way of putting his arms around us in those times of, of stress and, and trouble. So I got to Denver. Yes, my dad was, was getting better. And by the way, these guys are going to pass out a sheet I want you to have for the sermon in a minute. But don't read it now, okay? Uh, they're just good junior deacons and they're helping us. So we appreciate that coming around. Okay. Um, so I got to Denver. Everybody else left the room. And I got with my dad. And I wanted to share with my dad something I had learned when I got back to Andrews. I, about six, three, four months after I was converted and rebaptized, I went back to Andrews, felt called to ministry, cut my hair off, didn't look like such a bum anymore. And uh, anyway, got involved in ministry there. But um, I, I wanted to tell my dad what happened because, uh, and, and I decided to, my big concern for my dad was that I wanted to be sure he had assurance of salvation. Because here he's laying there, may die soon. Even though he was a minister and a leader, you never know. So I sat down with him and said, Dad, you know, I really want to um, share something with you that I've found out that's been so meaningful to me in my Christian walk. And I think we've talked about it before, but I wanted to share it with him. So I started sharing with him. I said, Let, let's read Romans 8. So I read these verses in Romans 8. Look at them with me. Uh, you'll see that verse 1, verse 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then verse 14, and on I love. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of what? Adoption. To whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness that our spirit, with our spirit, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. You feel poor this morning? You think you need more money? You're a joint heir with Jesus. You have a mansion he's built for you in heaven. Hallelujah. What a, what a promise that is. So we rejoiced. And I said, Dad, you know what I, what I found out? When I went back to Andrews, after I came back to Jesus, even though I went through schools and everything, I thought that salvation was like musical beanbag. And I think I heard Smuts Van Royen give me that illustration at a week of prayer. He said, you know, they used to play a game where you'd get in a circle and the piano would play, sort of like musical chairs, and all of a sudden it would stop, and they passed a beanbag between each other. And whoever was holding the bag would be out. And they kept doing it until it was down to usually two male athletes, you know, <laughs> that were trying to figure out how to win. And uh, they'd hold onto the bag to the last minute. The piano would slow up and then come down. And pretty soon they knew that that expected end would come unexpectedly. And sure enough, the piano would stop. One of them was out, and the other was the winner, and got the adoration of the, the ladies and everything. I thought, you know, that's how salvation was. You see, when I came to Jesus, when I was rebaptized, uh, I was in. <laughs> Devil had to give me to, to God. And then uh, 
a few days later, maybe when I did some really bad sin or something, I would, I, you know, God had to throw me back to the devil until I got on my knees and asked forgiveness. And, and then, you know, this went back and forth, back and forth, maybe every day or every week or whatever. And it all depended on what, where you were when you got hit by a bus or died somehow, uh, whether you'd be saved or lost. And I said, you know, Dad, I, I lived under that idea as I went back to Andrews. But I said, I heard good news there. Amen. I said, when I got there, I discovered that the Bible talks about it like an adoption or a marriage. When we come to Jesus and we get in him. So um, the testimony this morning is I was sharing with my dad. Dad, it's like a marriage. You know, uh, Janet and I got married. Uh, you know, I covered, carried her. She says I dragged her, but I covered, carried her over the threshold into the little bedroom there in Ocean City in that cottage. And uh, then I sat down on the bed. I looked into her eyes and, and uh, said, Janet, I love you. This is going to be great being married to you. And you have five years to get perfect or you're out. Do you, do you think I said that to Janet? And yet we sometimes act that way with God, you know. And we, we, we stumble, we sin, we do things, and we wake up in the morning wondering if we're really in Jesus, if we're really saved. Is he going to be able to save us? Martin Luther said, I look at myself and I... Uh, don't see how God can save me. When I look at Jesus, I don't see how he won't save me. And that's the way it is with me. But do you wake up in the morning and wonder if you're married to your spouse? No. You, you get adopted and you wonder if you're in the family. Now you can get out of divorce. You can get out of a marriage, right? So we have to be really careful about sins and hurts and things we're doing. Otherwise, we can end up being dumb enough to step out of a relationship. But what I was sharing with my dad is I just learned that while we can never play with sin, because that's so dangerous and it will take us down. We have time to grow in a covenant relationship when we're married or we're adopted. You've heard Janet talk. Her first husband died in this tragic accident five years in. And Tyson, my older son, is adopted. He's, he was two years old then. Uh, you know, but Tyson is precious to me as Zach any day. You know? They both are my sons. and We never thought whether we were in the family or not. So he wanted me to share that testimony about finding assurance. And I shared that with my dad. Dad and I rejoiced uh, because he knew it. And he said, Jerry, I'm at peace. If I die soon, that's fine. I'm ready to go. And I know that Jesus and his righteousness covers me. And that's the assurance of salvation. Um, to me, that has, I still struggle. I don't know if you do. Still wake up and think, I wonder if I'm really serious about this thing. And, and I go back and forth. But I, I think I need to co- keep going back to the fact that I'm in the family. You know, and that I have time to grow. Thank God Janet doesn't throw me out when I do bad things, right? We're still married, and that's the relationship. Um, so anyway, I, I shared that with my dad, and I, I won't take much longer on this, but we had a lot of time there, but he was, they said he'd probably die in just a very few weeks. And so I had 10 days with him at home. We sat around on the last Sabbath with he and Mom before I had to go back and just had a praise time. Went around the little circle talking about what God had done for us, praising him. And then that night I knew I had to leave. And so I uh, was going in to say goodnight to Dad. He was getting in bed. Knew I might never see him again. And so I, I said, Dad, you know, I was going to read you some scriptures, but, uh, you know, I just want to pray with you. You're the best dad ever. And he said, Son, I know you love me and I love you so much. He said, But I want to hear the scriptures. Go ahead and read them to me. So we read a little farther down in Romans 8 that night, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril? No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing 
will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know you're in Jesus this morning? 1 John 5, one other text, and then we'll move on. 1 John 5, beautiful text. I love it. Verse 14 and on. 11 to 13, actually. 1 John 5, and this is the testimony, John said, that God has given us eternal life. When we accept Jesus, when we baptize, we, we get eternal life then. Okay? He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I believe Jesus wants us to have a joyful assurance of salvation. Even when we've failed, we thank him. We claim his righteousness. We confess, yes, and we move on. Don't ever ignore sin because we will end up turning away from him. It'll ruin our lives. But to have a constant joy, a praise going on of knowing that we're in the family, knowing that our husband, our adopted father is going to take us home. Uh, that's, that's the testimony. And I, want, I think Zach wanted me to share this because in my life, one of the guys that helped me understand this was Morris Venden. How many of you have been blessed by Morris Venden's work? Yeah, yeah his books, his week of prayer he did at Andrews. These are the things that help me understand that I have a little time to grow. <laughs> I better not play with it but I have time to grow before God has to, would move on. He won't move on. Actually, it's us that would move on. That's the danger. So anyway, I, I just wanted to say to you, come to the leave end thing when it comes. It's really a blessing. I've been so blessed by his work. It's the same kind of work his dad did. To tell stories, to keep focused on Jesus, and to help us understand how to have a real living personal relationship with him. So I wanted to share that with you. Now, as... Our president said here a couple weeks ago, now the sermon starts. I'll try not to go too long. But uh, I want to tell you, too, another story about when, after Janet had a real reconversion in her life, and um, someday we'll talk more about that, but it's amazing how insensitive I was at the time. Church leader didn't know my wife was struggling the way she was, but God blessed us, and through our people's prayers, took us out of that and gave us a new start. Right after that, some ladies in North America... Uh, asked Janet to go with them. The walls had just come down in Russia. And they wanted Janet to come with several of the ladies. They were going to go talk to the ladies there and teach them about uh, how to have a walk with Jesus. Janet was praising God now. She's having a new experience. They said, come, help them know. So she came to me. She said, Jerry, what should we do? I was conference president in Pennsylvania at the time. And I, I said, man, Janet, you ought to go. That'll be wonderful. You'll, you'll grow. You'll, 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 you'll share with them. It'll be a blessing for them. And she said, but Jerry, we have two boys. <laughs> Did you forget that? What's going to happen to them if I go away for three weeks? And I said, oh, that's no problem. I'll be Mr. Mom. I can handle that. But I didn't know what I didn't know about being Mr. Mom. Uh, so anyway, uh, she went, froze some food up for us and stuff. And I was doing pretty good for about two weeks. <laughs> uh, kids weren't because I don't cook. But anyway, we, we were doing fairly well. But uh, I was getting a little grouchy. You know, I wanted Mama to come home. <laughs> and I was tired of it. And So we were sitting at the table eating spaghetti one night, and um, Zach was leaning back in his chair playing airplane with his spaghetti, you know. <laughs> and Tyson thought it was funny. They were laughing. It was great. But Daddy didn't think it was funny. I said, listen, Zach, will you sit up to the table and eat right you want to spill spaghetti sauce on your pants, we'll have to wash your clothes again. Sit up and eat right. And uh, Tyson and Zach were very silent. Daddy's going off. We need to be. <laughs> so I, I picked up the spaghetti sauce jar. We needed more. 
heated and I took it out to the microwave and heated it up. And when it was done, I don't cook and I didn't, I have little preacher fingers, they're real soft. And I took the glass jar out of the microwave and it was really hot. I went, ah, like that. Smash on the floor. Spaghetti sauce went all over the cabinets, all over the kitchen. I have never heard Tyson and Zachary laugh so hard in my whole life. <laughs> Daddy says, Zachary, sit up to the table. And then he paints the whole kitchen with spaghetti sauce. <laughs> I love Jesus. He has a way. When I need to be lifted up, and I think I'm too bad to save, he lifts me up. When I get arrogant, <laughs> and I get pointing my finger at you and you and criticizing, or who my kids or whoever it is, he has a way of knocking me down and humbling me to save me. God is good that way. He really is, yeah. I love a story about a university professor in Southwestern, actually. The president of the school came to me and said, you know, I have a staff member here that told me a really funny story. He said, we were, he, said he was preaching to the whole convocation at Southwestern. Everybody was there, the faculty, the staff, you know, everybody was there. And he was preaching a sermon on humility. And he said, as he was preaching the sermon, people had tears in their eyes. They were fervently saying, amen. He said, I knew I, you know, you just know when you're preaching and people are listening. And he said, I, I was thinking, man, this is a good sermon. <laughs> in fact, this is maybe the best sermon I've ever preached. So he said, as I was preaching along, I thought, yeah, yeah, this is really good. It's really good. He got to the end of it, made his emotional appeal about humility and selflessness. And the people were sitting there with tears in their eyes, making commitments and he said, I was done, so I went out to the little room out beside. He said, I just couldn't help it. I said, eat your heart out, Billy Graham. <laughs> Be jealous. But I forgot to turn off my neck mic. Yeah. So it went booming out over the whole congregation. And again, God has a way of helping us be humble. C.D. Brooks was one of my favorite preachers. He said, he said, you know, when I pray for humility, I'm very careful how I pray. He said, I pray, Lord... Please humble me in private in my prayer time so you won't have to humiliate me in public in front of everybody. Uh, yeah. One more story, and then we'll go into the Word. Uh, Janet and I had been teaching in New Zealand for a whole week. We were really tired. Our next stop was Mongolia for a week. We taught there. We were tired again, riding over a big, long, rocky road to get out to, these, to the meeting place. Then our next step was to go to China. We'd never been there before. This was exciting. You know, the China... Church is new with half a million members. And so we were excited to get there. We went to the hotel in Beijing that night, very late. We were exhausted. We are standing at the door of the hotel. And uh, Janet said something to me, and I misunderstood it. I thought it was a smart comment that offended me. So I said something back to her that wasn't very nice. Can you imagine me doing that? And so she didn't like that very much, so she said something back to me that wasn't very nice. And that really made me angry, so I said something back to her that was really not nice, and boom! Did you ever happen to you? Just before we had an opportunity to do something really, we were supposed to go the next morning and tell elders and preachers in Beijing how to be wonderful Christian leaders. And Satan does that quite often. But anyway, we were so angry, we wanted to be in two different rooms that night. And so we didn't. We stayed in the same room, but there was no talking. Next morning, we got up early, and we've made a commitment to try to spend time with Jesus every day. And that morning, we were doing it. Janet was down on her side of the bed. I was down on my side of the bed. And you know what God was doing, right? <laughs> he was whacking us both upside of the head, showing us our own sinfulness and our own problems. And so we both knew we had to get up and go and 
apologized to each other. <laughs> so we did. We met at the end of the bed, apologized, asked forgiveness of each other, embraced, and we went off to teach the people in China. Um, as I look at my life and ministry, I realize that most of the conflicts I get into with Janet or with anybody in the church or work or anywhere else has to do with what? Pride, self. Yeah, it's, uh, what was the original sin that Satan had in Isaiah 14? Remember it? Six eyes in that text. I will exalt myself. I will be this. I will be that. He was the greatest angel in heaven. Beautiful, best voices. But he wanted to be like Jesus. And he wasn't God. So it started this whole mess we're involved in. And so I want to take you to a couple of scriptures now as I think about this issue. Um, in terms of relationships, and we're going to finish the last few minutes just talking about Jesus' prayer in John 17, how we can be one as the Trinity's one, so the world will believe that Jesus really came in a time of great division. I mean, the war that's going on right now is one of Satan's culmination of this self-journey. Somebody who wants to get the Soviet Union back and go down in history as another Lenin, you know, or Stalin, or whatever, and uh, it's just the large, massive symbol of what happens in the church and the marriage and the family with our kids too often. It's all about protecting self. It's all about uh, exalting self. It's about getting enough respect, people realizing how wonderful we are, what we've done, and not saying anything to hurt or offend us. Look at, look at Philippians with me for a minute. I love this book. It's called The Letter of Excellence and The Letter of Joy. And the, really, if I had a title for this sermon, it would be The Sheet. I gave you, I got to thinking yesterday, boy, I hope the molders <laughs> wouldn't be offended. They're going through so much grief right now about the death of Stan, and yet his life was a wonderful life. We praise God for him. But uh, the sheet you got is called The Joys of Being Dead. <laughs> joys of Being Dead. Joy. How do we find real powerful joy in our relationships? Philippians 2 and Philippians 3. Paul said it, you know, he figured it out finally by the light on Damascus Road and everything. You know, the, you know Philippians 3 is his autobiography. He, he was very, very intelligent. He was theologically trained. He was zealous to the T, right? He was uh, one who always kept the law and could criticize everybody else and was killing Christians. That's how good Paul was. But he said, verse 7 of chapter 3, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Jesus. Indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord. To be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul, the passages he wrote are so amazing. Chapter 3 of Philippians is one of the great ones, but the better one is Philippians 2, right? which is exactly the opposite of Satan's I, I, I will exalt, I will this and this. Jesus, step down, step down, step, step, step down. Look at Philippians 2, and let's, let's start reading. Verse 1 there. Take a pew Bible if you don't have it. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, Paul says, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then this, verse 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in lowliness of mind, let everybody esteem everybody else better than themselves. How would that change the world, huh? How would that change the world? Jesus' teachings are just amazingly profound. Verse 4, let each of you look not only on for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And here's the key. Let this mind be in you. Whoops, we'll get that later. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wow. To have the mind of Christ. David, how about that? (laughs) That would help in the hospitals, wouldn't it? That would help everywhere, the wars, if we had the mind of Jesus. And it goes on telling, of course, how Jesus did it. He was God, not Satan hoping to be God. I want to be high like God. He did not consider robbery to be equal, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the cursed death of the cross. That was beautiful about the cross in that movie you watched. And thinking again, we, we need to focus so much on Jesus and what he went through for us. Therefore, God's highly exalted him. That's a principle of the gospel. If we put ourselves down, God will lift us up in due time. I've seen it over and over through the world field in the church. Somebody wants to be a president, wants to be a big shot in the church. Lots of times God has to <laughs> really put them aside. And it's the guy who's just being faithful, the woman who's being faithful out there, just doing the best they can in the place where they are. He often comes up and raises them up and everybody goes, what happened? Where'd that come from? <laughs> you know, so that's what we need. Anyway, uh, a lot more we could say on that. I love a statement that, uh, I think I lost it here somewhere, but that uh, Ty Gibson makes. Uh, see if I still got it. Somehow I laid that aside. He says, uh, the, the surest sign of spiritual immaturity is having to be right all the time and prove it. <laughs> so why do our marriages, why do our churches have the problem? So often, it's our opinion, pride of opinion. Uh, somebody doesn't agree with us. They don't respect us the way they should. He says, the greatest sign of maturity is being willing to understand we might be wrong and, and humble enough to admit that. Humility. Oh, God, help us. Help us with that one. It's just not easy. It's not natural for us. It's not, it's not who we are. Well, time's running, and I just want to hit several things here in, in the last few minutes. Um, got a PowerPoint we could take a lot of time with, but there's a handout in the back um, if you want to dig deeper into it. And it's talking about John 17, 21, and it talks about seven principles that Janet and I have found over our years of service that can really help answer Jesus' prayer. So let's look at that together as we kind of go down the road here. That we may be one, principles for better relationships. I'd like you for a minute to think of the person you like the least. Not very pleasant. Somebody that just turns you off, somebody that may have abused you, somebody who you just don't want to be around, you don't like their personality, whatever. Anyway, okay. You done with that unpleasant example? All right. Jesus prayed, and this, you know, after his disciples, who were arguing over who would be the greatest in the church and didn't understand what it was, <laughs> go through the foot washing where Jesus humbles himself and washes their feet, and now he's on the way to Gethsemane to die for us. Jesus praying on his way that all of them, that's us today, the disciples who would be living at the end, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, what? So that. The world will believe you really came. You know what? Too often the Christian church, Mahatma Gandhi, they asked him, why don't you become a Christian? You've got all these wonderful principles. And he supposedly said, I would seriously consider becoming a Christian if it weren't for Christians. 
That's sad, isn't it? But is it a Santa Claus story? Someday we wake up and find it didn't, wasn't real. Uh, people, if they want to believe that Jesus is real, need to see Christians living in, a, in the principles that we're talking about, Philippians 2. How to do it, though. It's not, uh, Ellen White said this, it's not the opposition of the world that most endangers the church of Christ. It's the evil cherished in the hearts of believers. On the other hand, the strongest witness that God has sent his son into the world is the existence of harmony and union among men of varied dispositions who form the church. Wow. What if we could really love each other, even when we disagree. Vaccines, masks, war, politics, church policy, who's leading, this and that. What if we were like Jesus? He never was elated by applause, never dejected by censure, because his only desire was to do the Father's will, carry out his mission, and to teach the truths of the kingdom of God, which are so wonderful. Seven principles for better relationships, okay? We'll fly through it. If you want to pick up a handout, there's 60 of them, I think, in the back. You can get one. So we won't take a lot of time with each one. But the first one, intercede in prayer for people instead of trying to change them, trying to do the Holy Spirit's work yourself. Um, I've learned this the hard way as a conference president and a leader, often trying to tell people what they're doing wrong, fix it. There's an awful lot of that going on in the world today. And I just wanted to share one story. I, I was, came back from a trip. And I found out that one of my uh, departmental people had been doing it again. He just loved to gossip. He loved to say negative things about other people. Do you know anybody like that? Nobody in Templeton Hills Church, right? And I had talked to him about it before. I said, come on, we work for, we work for the conference. We work for the church. And you're going around nailing these people behind their back. It's just not right. Let's change. But then I heard he was doing it again. This young couple we had working with us. Uh, he was going around behind their back. He was saying things that weren't true and hurting their reputation. And I was really angry. And I, I couldn't talk to him that day. And I said, I need an appointment with you uh, t- Tuesday morning. Okay. So I went home and I wrote a little legal brief, what he'd been doing, what I'd heard he'd been doing. My plan for behavior modification was to sit down with him, go over the list of what he'd been doing, watch him squirm, <laughs> embarrass him, and hopefully he'd change his behavior. That was my plan. So anyway, that morning, uh, actually the day before, I was going to do this Monday, um, I told Janet what I was going to do, and I showed her the list. And Janet has a a beautiful way of realizing she should go real slow with me, try to help me think quietly about things. And she said, well, just spend a lot of time with Jesus before you do it. (laughs) Good counsel, huh? Wives are helpmates. That word means counselor, not just cooking and doing the laundry or whatever, yeah. Help me, it's real counselors for us. Okay, so anyway, I said, oh yeah, 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 sure. That next morning, I got up early, and I wasn't thinking about this man, but I went to God and I said, God, you know, you said that your word should be like an audience with you. When I'm, when I'm having worship, I can listen to you speaking through your word to me today. But lately, it's been really dry. I'm not getting anything. Today, would you speak to me? Say whatever you want to say to me. That was a bad mistake. Uh, I said, God, Whatever. Anyway, and I, I was reading in Proverbs, so I went back to Proverbs 12 and started reading through. And here are the things. I have a yellow sheet here. With, see the highlighter on there? These texts began to jump off the page and whack me right in the face. A fool shows his annoyance at once. Yeah, I was annoyed. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I was going to cut this guy up and leave him bleeding on my president of the conference office carpet. This, there's deceit in the hearts of those who plot evil, but joy for those who promote peace. A wise man keeps his knowledge to himself. 
I was going to dump the whole load on him. How does God get me in Proverbs 12 on the day when I need it so much? You figure that. We'll ask him when we get to heaven. A righteous man is cautious in his friendships. I said, okay, God, I hear you. (laughs) I hear you. I'm right about the facts, but I'm really wrong in spirit. Hmm? I have a friend who says he does his worst sinning when he's right. Yeah, I do. And, And I said, okay, God, okay. So tell me what I should do. So I began to wait. I listened. I talked to God. And I believe he brought a text to my mind, which I don't think of a lot or anything, but look at it with me. Galatians 6, 1 to 3. Galatians 6, 1 to 3. Paul says, Brothers, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, and bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Jesus. And then it goes on, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. I said, Okay, Lord, I'm wrong in spirit. How should I deal with this man? And I felt he gave me an idea. So when I went to, to meet with him, I said, Jim, I got a problem I want you to pray for me about. I said, sometimes I talk about people behind their backs and hurt them. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I, then I shared a little bit of what I knew he'd been doing. And he got the point. And we knelt down, tears in our eyes, and prayed for each other. Jesus would help us be more like him. I found many times in relationships, if I will take a humble approach, confessing that I don't love the way Jesus does, and that God uses that to break a wall down. Marriage, kids, maybe we need to apologize to them for some things we've done wrong too. We were always telling them what they're doing wrong. Anyway, so that was a good ending there. That night I got home and there was a pastor on the phone. He was really angry. He said, Jerry, my elders are going around behind my back saying stuff that isn't true and I'm going to sit them down tomorrow and I'm going to really straighten them out. Hmm? Isn't God good? So I was able to give him my testimony from the day, slow him down, and keep him from having a big church fight with his elders. God is so good. If we will take time with him, he'll give us a word in season for the worry. He'll help us to know what to say. He'll, he'll help us stop getting in all these relationship problems. If we take time to pray and go to the Holy, and, and just let him tell us, is it time to work or is it not time to work? Maybe I should do nothing right now and wait a little longer and pray a little more. Uh, 1 John 5.16 says, if you, your brother's sinning a sin, uh, go to God. He'll give you life for him. But it may not happen just like that. But we, we just go tromping off to tell him what he's doing wrong. So we spend time with the Lord. He may even show us that we're part of the problem. Set a mirror before us so he can see. So often in marriages, we're upset with what our spouse is doing. But God can tell us pretty quickly what it is we need to change and do differently in our own life. And that may be the solution to the other problem. Live the fruit of the Spirit. And preach it others less. Take action only when the Holy Spirit tells you to. We just rush off and do it in our own human strength too often. The second principle. I'm going to move fast now. Hold on. Respect diversity of temperaments and God's created differences in people. You've noticed that people are created differently? 
Ephesians 4 said God did it on purpose. The body has all different kinds of gifts, your toe, your mouth, your heart, your internal organs, whatever. God did it. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing. Uh, we should sacredly regard the feelings and respect the rights of those with whom God has placed us in relationship. And listen to this statement from Ellen White. She says, marked diversities of disposition and character frequently exist in the same family. Is that true? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> For it is in the order of God that persons of varied temperament should associate together. God put us together with our spouse because they're different. So it's for benefit, huh? I tell Janet, God gave me to you so that you would grow to be like Jesus. <laughs> Develop your character, right? When this is the case, each member of the household should sacredly regard the feelings and respect the rights of others. By this means, mutual consideration of forbearance will be cultivated. Prejudices softened and rough points of character smooth. Harmony may be secured, and the blending of the varied temperaments may be a benefit to each. Sometimes if we would just say, take a breath, don't respond right now, don't, don't talk, don't tell them what they're doing, you know, just be quiet and pray, see what God leads you to do. They're different. And if we'll respect the fact that you, you feel differently about what ministry this church ought to do, you feel differently in the board meeting about that, so what? God balances us off each other, <laughs> and it's a good thing that we're different. And that, that's the way the body functions and it works. I'm sorry. Principle three, assume the best about others' motives and actions. Greg had a problem. He, uh, he had slugs in his garden, and he wanted to get those big fat you know, snails without shells out of his garden. They were eating his vegetables, and so he asked people what he should do, and they told him two things. What would you say? Salt and beer. That's it. You guys are right on it. Salt or beer. So he decided he'd take the beer course, so he went to the, the market, bought him some beer, it's in the cart. He's going to pay for it. And what happens? You're laughing. You know what's going on. The head elder meets him. <laughs> Hi. The next thing you do is look in the cart, see what the guy's buying, right? So surely the head elder assumed the best on his motives, right? Why do we always assume the worst on people's motives? If we'd listen more and seek to first understand clearly and then be understood, don't take things secondhand from secondary sources. This statement, Christ-like love places the most favorable construction on the motives and acts of others. It does not needlessly expose their faults. It does not listen eagerly to unfavorable reports, but seeks rather to bring to mind the good qualities of others. Wow. Help me, Lord. These things get tougher and tougher as we go to number seven, but then I'm going to give you a little hope at the end, hopefully. Okay? So don't get discouraged. Don't, Don't sneak out the back. Number four principle for answering Jesus' prayer, that we could be one accord, that we could have the upper room in this church, in our families, in our marriages. Follow Christ's specific instructions and don't talk to others about the problem. Would you come pray with me about so-and-so's problem? Let me tell you all about it, okay? And then we'll be prayer partners, huh? Yeah. We tell usually a few other people, (laughs) maybe the pastor, maybe some people in the church, before we do what the Bible says to do. Only say those things that are helpful for building others up according to their needs. Even if something's true, you don't have to talk to others about it unless you can help or resolve the problem. Just because it's true doesn't mean you ought to spread it around, right? Follow the gospel order in all situations. Matthew 18 says, if a brother in Christ sins against you, what do you do first? Tell the pastor, so-and-so did this to me. Oops. Go to the person alone first. There's self again. If we would keep it small, if we'd keep it small, then the person would react with so much. But when we tell uh, the pastor and a bunch of other people, suddenly their self is all offended and they look bad and their reputation. So then they 
come back at us, and it begins this back and forth, back and forth. Lastly, if needed, take it to the church for discipline, okay? Very lastly. Oh, next one is one or two other witnesses. And this one is really tough. Matthew 25, 23, and 24. If someone has ought against you, before you worship, go and seek to be reconciled. Sometimes we think they're totally to blame. Janet's testimony has the bitterness piece in it, and that person was very bad to her. But God says be reconciled anyway. How can we do that? If the other person did it all, they're the ones that's so bad. Again, if we pray about it, usually I can say to somebody, you know, I haven't loved you the way I should, that Jesus loves you. I haven't been perfect in my love for you. Something. God can help us. Never talk to those who are not part of the situation or the process. Number five, yielding our rights and expectations to God. Uh, if I yield my rights, when we get married, we, we tell people, now listen, you get married and you plan to live on selfish love for this person, right? And drop all your rights and expectations. It's the best way to get married. But we don't do it, right? We still have all these expectations and the other person doesn't meet our expectations. Now, do you know of Jesus ever going around defending his rights? Anywhere? Now, he defended other people's rights all the time. But he never was so worried about his own rights. He was willing to humble himself in that way. Now, again... um, Many of our relationships are caused by our concern for our rights and our respect. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. There is a time, however, for tough love, right? If a woman's being abused physically by a man, never, never just don't defend your rights in that. I mean, there's, there are limits, but we put the limits way too close to ourselves. <laughs> and there are times for tough love. Okay. Praising God for the source of irritations. Uh, Janet's better at that than me. Uh, one person was really... Being outrageous with her, she made a big list of things to praise the Lord for. It was hard for her. She didn't want to pray for that person. <laughs> but it changes our attitude, and it changes that person many times when we can do that. Pray for the problem person to be blessed, Jesus says, for your enemies, those who persecute you. And here's a good one for marriage. When things go wrong at your home, strike up a song about the matchless charms of the Son of God, and I tell you, when you touch that strain, Satan will leave you. There you go, Marissa. When David does something to you, you just start singing a song in his face. That'll really help, won't it? <laughs> cool, all right. By beholding, we become changed. If we dwell on the other person's faults, if we dwell on the wrong, we will become like it. It will come out in us. If we dwell on Jesus, we'll come out with his mind, have the mind of Christ, that humble mind. Then lastly, laying aside pride and selfishness. Now, all seven of these are too hard telling you to do things that we don't naturally do, can't really do, we don't do well. So how do we get there? I want to close with a, some things on that. But first I want to read you um, a vision. Ellen White was given a vision. And five minutes can solve most difficulties if self and pride are laid aside. Here's that vision, uh, what she heard her angels say. I saw that the remnant were not prepared for what is coming upon the earth. Stupidity like lethargy seemed to hang upon the minds of most of those who profess to believe that we are having the last message. A great work must be done for the remnant people. Many of them are dwelling upon little trials. Is that, can I get a witness on that? Said the angel, legions of evil angels are around you and are trying to press in their awful darkness that you may be ensnared and taken. But you suffer your minds to be diverted too readily from the work of preparation and the all-important truths for these last days, and you dwell upon little trials, and go into minute particulars of little difficulties to explain them to the satisfaction of this one or that. Amen? Do you know what so-and-so did? I'm in the right. They're in the wrong. 
On and on. Conversation's been protracted for hours. I can give a witness as a church leader between the parties concerned. And not only has their time been wasted, but the servants of God are held to listen to them when the hearts of both parties are unsubdued by grace. Five minutes. The angel said this. If pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would solve most difficulties. Angels have been grieved and God displeased by the hours which have been spent justifying ourselves. I saw that God will not bow down and listen to long justifications, and he does not want his servants to do so either. And thus precious time be wasted that should be spent in showing transgressors the error of their ways and pulling souls out of the fire. Help us, Lord, as Templeton Hills Church, to put self aside. Uh, That sheet that was passed out to you, I want to look at a couple statements on there quickly. And I know the time's getting away again. Sorry. But uh, look for just a minute at that sheet. Some of the joys that we can have. (laughs) The first statement on there says, it's the love of self that destroys our peace. If you'd like peace and you don't have it, what is it that's destroying it? The love of self somehow. While self is all alive, we stand ready continually to guard it from mortification and insult. But when we are dead and our life is hid with Christ and God, we'll not take neglects or strides to heart. We shall be deaf to reproach and blind to scorn and insult. Mount of Blessings, page 16. Those who are dead to self will not feel so readily, will not be prepared to resist everything which may irritate. Dead men cannot feel. Amen? That's our theology, isn't it? can't feel anything if you're dead. If you're crucified with Christ, dead and buried, raised up by Him, you can't feel all these little irritable things that happen to you. Hallelujah. You are not dead. If you were in your life were hidden Christ, a thousand things which you now notice, which afflict you, would be passed by as unworthy of notice. This next one, though, is a wonderful, precious promise about the joys of being dead. Look at it. There is no limit to the usefulness of one who, putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. All who will consecrate body and spirit to his service will be constantly receiving a new endowment of physical, mental, and spiritual power. A couple sentences down, the Holy Spirit puts forth its highest energies to work in mind and heart. Through the grace given us, we may achieve victories that because of our own erroneous and preconceived opinions, our defects of character, our smallness of faith, have seemed impossible. And then, so much good in this. One place she says, you were baptized, but you didn't die. <laughs> and that's why you're causing all the trouble in the church. But look at number 11 on the back. It says, if we would humble ourselves before God, be kind and courteous, tenderhearted and pitiful, There would be 100 conversions to the truth, where now there's only one. Would we like to have 100 more than each one of us? Wow, we couldn't get them in the church. But though professing to be converted, we carry around with us a bundle of self that we regard as altogether too precious to be given up. It's our privilege to lay this burden at the feet of Jesus and in its place take the character and similitude of Christ. The Savior's waiting for us to do this. It's all going fast, but it's out back. If you want to get the handout, you can look at it, other texts, other scriptures. But I want to close with a little story that's in uh, this PowerPoint. And because it's, it's easy to say, put self aside and, you know, humble yourself and be careful when you speak to people and do all this stuff. But it's hard to do in our own strength, for sure. And, and look at this lady was praying to God. It's called Contemporary Peter. And she's having a dialogue with God. And she starts out praying like this. She says, Lord, do you require more of men than what I'm now doing? I'm busy in your work, yet I'm not certain. It's, you have, it's what you have for me to do. Lord, what more can I do to serve you better? He answers, nothing, my child. But Lord, why do I feel discontented with my service for you? I'm giving of myself and my money unsparingly. I'm a church deaconess and a Sabbath school teacher. I give much of my time to witnessing for you. What more can I do for you? 
Nothing, my child. But Lord, there still remains a vacancy inside. In spite of my private and public devotion to you, what more can I do? Nothing. Listen, my child. Stop doing things for me. Now what, what Lord? <laughs> Let's be reasonable. You've blessed my work for you. You've exhorted me to labor in your vineyard. What do you mean? What if I do stop doing things for you? Then I'll be able to do them through you. Oh, I think I see. Of course, Lord, my work for you is in vain unless you do it through me. Make me a fit channel, Lord. Do humble me and may I be a worthy vessel for you to use. Now, what task do you want to do through me? None, my child. What? You said you'd work through me. What's your task for me? My daughter, just love me. Now, wait a minute, Lord. I've been a Christian for 11 years. What do you mean, love me? I do love you. Now that's settled. What's the next step? There is no other step, loved one. Just love me. Well, you know I love you, Lord. My whole life has taken up a service to you. What do you mean? Your love for me is revealed in your love to your fellow man. Oh, I know that, Lord. I do love my fellow men. Do you love your biology professor? Well, I, you know, I don't hate the guy. I just leave him alone, you know, and he leaves me alone. Do you love your biology professor? Now look, we don't get along. Our personalities sort of clash, and one can't solve that, so I avoid him. I died for him, and I live for him too. I know, Lord, and I'd like to see him say, but you know, you understand that I just don't click with him. Do you love your biology professor? Oh, I respect him. I think he respects me. I recognize he's a fine fellow, and I'm sure he'd make a good Christian, but I, I guess I do think of him as being, well, overconfident and conceited. Even a bigot at times. You know his kind, Lord. Why all this about him, Lord? Look at all these other people I love. Why, I could... Do you love your biology professor? Well, he's the one person, Lord, I just can't stand. He's pretty hard to take, but I do love, I guess, everyone else. And certainly, you know I love you. You only love me to the extent that you love the person you like the least. You only love me to the extent that you love the person you like the least. Ouch. But well then, I I really don't care about you then. But I've been a Christian 11 years. I always thought I loved you. Now I see, Lord. Thank you for revealing this to me. I will truly love you now. You cannot, my child. But you said love me. And when I said okay, I don't understand. How can you love me? There's no love in you. God is love. And I can't love anyone? No, you're only the channel through which I can love anyone. Then love this world through me, Lord, this world of broken men. You love through death, Lord. Love through me again. Yes, my child, I will. Is that too strong, too hard? We only love God to the extent we love the person we like the least? But what did Jesus say? Inasmuch as you have done unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. We could be really discouraged right here. But look what God said. Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Ask and you shall receive. Luke 11. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said the Father will always give you the Holy Spirit. When he comes in, the fruit of the Spirit is just there. 
When he comes in, the gifts are just there. The wisdom and the discernment to how to handle people. Our marriage, everything is there. Our kids, how can we do it? Yeah. So, anyway, every day, pleading for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Asking for the heart of Jesus, for the mind of Jesus to be in us. The only way we can get along. <laughs> only way we can overcome offenses, hurts. They who love God's law, nothing can offend them. I want to be that. I'm not. Janet and I still had a fight a while back. It was probably 10 years ago, the last time we had a fight. But, you know. (laughs) Did I say 10 hours ago? No. Yeah, but God is able. And so we don't get discouraged. We don't feel like we're, you know, you're going up in an elevator. We accepted Jesus. We're on our way up. You may fall on your face on the floor of the elevator, but you're still going up. You're in the family, okay? So don't get discouraged. But every time you fall, grab Jesus and hang on for dear life. H.M.S. Richards, one of our great saints, said, the older I get, the more I know I need the grace of Jesus. And when I sin, I just fall and hang on to his feet, and I, I come back to him. So we confess every sin. You know, I don't want to hurt Janet anymore, so I don't want stuff in my marriage to be wrong. Or in my church. But I can tell you there's fighting going on in the church around the world, every church. Because there's people. But don't get discouraged about that. We just want to be that mind of Christ person ourselves, make a difference where we are, and stop the wars from happening, whether it's Ukraine and Russia or it's somebody in the board. <laughs> you know, whatever it may be, God help us to be like Jesus. Um, when you go out today, there's a book that you've seen before, many of you have it, by Steps to Personal Revival by Helmut Havel. There's more of them on the counter there. Uh, Dwight Nelson said this has done more to change his ministry, his family, his life than any other book in 30 years. Uh, it's about how to have the Holy Spirit every day, how to confess the sins in our lives. So if you haven't gotten it, you might want to take that and read it. Uh, several weeks ago we talked after the women's retreat about the Pray Big books by Cindy Mercer and her husband Rick. His problems with alcohol and drugs and pornography that almost ruined their marriage, but they didn't give up and God saved them. And now they're teaching others, ministerial secretary. There's some more of those in the back if you'd like those. And also the handout from today's PowerPoint is back there as well. So let's take just a minute and, and pray together uh, silently. And Lord, has touched your heart. We ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us each individually. I know I've got people I don't like as well as other people. And Jesus wants to love them through me. And so maybe there's somebody you need to pray about and get reconciled with. I've got a letter i got to write from years ago. It's sitting on my desk. I've got to figure out how to say it. The person's mad at me and doesn't want to hear from me anymore, you know, but I've got to humble myself and take the blame myself and whatever. Maybe you have something like that, too, that will bring joy in your life. Janet, when she got this bitterness with this person that was so mean to her, cleared up, it changed her life. It, it set things free for her. So maybe it will for you, too. Let's just bow our heads together a minute and pray silently or kneel if you'd like. I think I'm going to kneel and just talk to the Lord a second. Don't promise, just ask him to help you. Change your will. He said he works in us both to want and to do his good pleasure. Uh, Some things are really hard. Some of you have been really abused and hurt by somebody. How could you ever forgive them? I don't blame you, but Jesus wants to give you that joy of being dead. The joy of being dead. Help me, Lord. Help us all. Thank you that you give us the power to love. That you'll give us the power to have our marriages and our relationships with our children and people at work, all these different things healed uh, by us being that humble mind of Christ person. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing, 
Thank you for answering our prayers. Lead us and guide us. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.